morning, everybody. Nice to see you all this morning. Uh, I'm Scott Spencer, assistant pastor here at the river. Mike is out of town for a few weeks. Um, so I'm going to do my best to fill in for him. We are in Ephesians 4, and uh, I kind of have to move around a little bit, so uh, just to assure you that we are making progress through Ephesians 4. We're probably about halfway through, but you know, I'm kind of going to move around a little bit, go back and forth, so um, no worry if you feel a little bit lost. That's okay. Uh, verses 7 through 18 of Ephesians 4. Paul explains how the church grows through living out the theological fact of spiritual unity. And last time, I believe I mentioned that, you know, theology is great. I love theology. Theology is kind of my thing. But you have to move beyond theology. You have to put that into practice. You have to put the wheels on the ground and make it move, make it actually go somewhere. And uh, so you have to move beyond that. The passage there gives a few keys to church growth. When, when I talk about church growth, I'm not talking about numbers, you know. I, I, I'm thrilled to see the number of people here this morning, especially given the weather outside. Um, I'm always surprised when we have bad weather or... Uh, when I'm when I'm preaching and people know I'm preaching and like, gee, they showed up anyway, you know, so that that's exciting. I like to see faces out there, but faces are not faces are not what it's all about. Numbers are not what it's all about. When God's when when Paul when God's talking about church growth, he's talking about strength. He's talking about getting stronger. Um, when you have a, a little kid, you know. Uh, I'm a dad. I have I have four kids, so I do have some experience with this. Um, it's thrilling when you take a baby home. That's so exciting and terrifying, by the way. But it's exciting. But um, it's exciting when they start growing, you know, when they walk. The first time they walk, they're walking around. That's so exciting. And then, you know, then they get a little bit older, and they're able to ride a bike, and you're thrilled. They're getting stronger, you know, and they get a little bit bigger. And, uh, you know, they turn about eight or something and you're like, let's go to the gym. You know, let's, let's start, let's, let's pump some weights. Let's do some stuff, you know, way too early for that, by the way. But, uh, it's exciting to see them getting stronger, you know, and then they get to be a teenager. And then before you know it, they can knock you down. That's exciting. But it's that strength, that growing that God wants to see. You know, um, sometimes sometimes there are problems. Sometimes people have physical problems. And they, they're not able to grow like they normally would. You know, they don't meet their potential like they should. Physically. Talking about Physically. I had experience about two years ago. A lot of you will remember. Um, I tore my, I tore both quadriceps, my legs, and for uh, I don't know a period of about six to eight weeks, I really couldn't even walk. I I, I managed to hobble around with help. <laughs> there actually was a Sunday when um, there was nobody else to to preach, and so. 
um, I was up here in a wheelchair because I knew for sure I couldn't stand that long. And so I have some experience with that physical disability, that physical problem. Um, My car had a handicap tag in it for a while. I was very grateful for that tag because the distance from the parking lot to the door of where I was going was a really long ways all of a sudden. Fortunately for me, it's not permanent, but you know, for some people it is permanent. For some people, they, they're they just not going to have the use of their body like they normally should, and you know, that's tragic. That is tragic. Um, I, for one, I love my kids. I... Uh, I like having them around, you know. And I look at the pictures when they're little, and I'm thinking, oh, that was such a great time, you know. And and, and it's gone. We've moved on. We've moved, we've moved on. But if, if our kids didn't move on, if our kids didn't grow, if they didn't get independent, it would be tragic. Think about how God feels. Now, that whole long story has a point, <laughs> Think about how God feels when he looks at you and he says, wow, it's so exciting. I have a new baby born. I have a new little Christian. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. When you become a Christian, you're a baby Christian. And God wants to see you grow. And he wants to see you, you know, get off of the bottle. Paul talks about that a lot. Get past the milk. He's talking about, you know, the baby needing milk because they don't have teeth. They can't eat me yet. God wants to see us grow beyond that. He wants to see us take those first Christian steps. When we step out there and we're first, first learning how to walk as a Christian. And then, and then he's hoping pretty soon, he's hoping, you know, you put some effort into it and you'll be able to run. Think how exciting that is. When God sees that you're able to actually do things in a Christian way, and gain strength, you know, gain strength, get into the gym, pump you up, let's do it, push some weights, get strong, God needs strong Christians, the world that we live in today, the world that we live in today is insane, it's insane, now I'm not saying the world is worse now than it ever has been, But, and I've said this before, and I think somebody told me this is a micism, but I I I don't really know. Maybe it is. We I've been I've been listening to Mike for so long that there's probably a lot of micisms that I say, you know. But if if God doesn't pass judgment on the United States, He owes Sodom and Gomorrah apology. It's we're there, we're there. And what I'm saying is that you got to be a strong Christian to survive this world because we have everything coming around us telling us that the things that you believe as a Christian you know that if you're born a boy you grow up to be a boy and you don't get to make a choice somewhere in there I feel like a girl today no you're a boy and and girls if you were born a girl, you don't get to make that choice. You're a girl. You are what God made you. 
And the world around us today is telling us that those things like that, you know, that are non-negotiables, they are what they are, they don't like that. And they're coming against us. They're coming against us not only in a society, but they're coming against us in a spiritual world. We're in demonic warfare regarding that. And you've got to be a strong Christian to stand against that. I hear, I hear pastors occasionally, and I hear churches where, and they will even advertise this. They will say, you're welcome. You come worship us, with us, no matter what you are. You know, you can make the choice. You get to choose. God's telling us there's some things you don't choose because he chose it for us. And you got to be a strong Christian in order to stand up against that. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4 when he's talking about um, growing in strength, being a strong Christian, having, having, uh, having uh, church growth. That's what he's talking about, is that strength to withstand that, that strength to live out that Christian life in the world that we live in today. Um, in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The grace there is talking about being able to perform whatever it is that God has put in front of us and is asking us to do for him. God gives us gifts. I've talked, I talked previously about the gifts that God gives us. God equips us for whatever it is he wants to do. And sometimes you get a gift and you look at that gift and you're thinking, I don't see anything spiritual here. I don't know why I keep getting noise from this microphone, but it's really, I hope it doesn't annoy other people like it does me. Um, God, God gives us gifts not for ourselves. You know, you may have a gift of, you may have a, a mechanical gift. You know, you can fix things. I have a friend that can, uh, he does uh, heating and air conditioning. He, he can fix that stuff. You know, I look at it, I see, oh, that's where the filter goes. Um, is it on? I could check to see if it's on. Uh, usually I can check to see if it has power, okay? Beyond that, I'm clueless. But if you ask him to come fix that, he can do that. Now you're going to say, how is that a spiritual gift? Well, I can tell you something. He can fix things for other people that they couldn't do for themselves. He can do stuff for someone else when they need help. Is that a God thing? To serve each other? Yeah, it sure is. I can tell you that, okay, my mom's heat went out 10 o'clock one night on a weekend. I was kind of panicked, actually, because I was hoping mom would stay in her house and, you know, be there. So who did I call? I called my friend. My friend is a Christian. He showed up at 11 o'clock at night on a weekend, and he worked for hours to get that running. 
Was that a gift of service? Who did he do that for? He did that for God. He did that for God. I never got a bill from him. Never got a bill. His wife didn't even complain. (laughs) You know, if anyone would complain, it would be his wife. Why are you out at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night? Oh, I'm fixing Scott's furnace. Yeah, right. Sure. No, no complaints. That's, That's someone who's serving God with their gifts. You might look at your gifts and you might say, that's a little sparse. I got a little tiny toolkit here. I don't have a lot of gifts that I can, you know, that I can serve with. Oh, yes, you do. You have exactly what it is that God wants you to have. You just need to ask him, how do I put this into service for you? What do you want me to do? Sometimes that gift is something as simple as being a friend to somebody. You know, do you know people who are difficult to be friends with? I do. I do, and I have to admit, you know, sometimes when uh, when that person walks into uh, my, uh, you know, my comfort zone a little bit there, Sometimes I uh, offer up a little prayer, you know, God help me. I, I want to serve God and I know, I know without a doubt that God has put that person in my life because he wants me to do something for them, whatever that is. And I'm not there for myself, I'm there for them. And I'm serving God by being there for them. Do you know people like that? I'll bet you do. I'll bet we all do. You know, but those people, those people need somebody to love them, not with natural love, not with I like hanging out with you kind of love, but with love that's a supernatural love, something that comes from God. And you share, you share God's love with them. And you help them to grow. You know, I believe the purpose of the the purpose of well, the Bible says that the purpose of the church is is uh, you know we come together to worship, yes, but the purpose of the church is to equip the saints. The purpose of what I'm doing right now is to equip you for the work that God has you to do. It's training. It's equipping us. That's what we do when we come together. You know, that, that verse that says, iron, shop, iron sharpens iron. What is that? Think about it, you know, if you're a guy, if you're, if you're a guy, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, maybe a, if you're an alpha male, you understand this, you know, you're, you're somebody who likes knives, okay? You like, you like big knives. You know, when I was growing up, everybody had a hunting knife. And, uh, and uh, Rambo was popular, most of you are too young to even know what that movie is, but might be on Netflix still. But uh, there were these Rambo knives, and they were, they were about that big, you know. Back then, we could carry them around in school, and I remember guys walking around my high school, and they had a big old honking knife hanging down on their leg. It was like a sword, you know. But when they sharpened that thing, 
you have a you have a stone in your hand and when they sharpen that thing it's like you know it's like a big deal that's iron sharpens iron kind of a thing it makes that knife sharp it makes it usable there's nothing more dangerous than a dull knife nothing more dangerous so same thing spiritually if we're dull spiritually we're not only not much use we're probably dangerous we need to be sharp we need to be sharp so that the Lord can use us God uses us in different ways you know I was talking last week about uh, being a peacemaker people think that a peacemaker needs to be somebody who's passive you know who doesn't make waves now there are times there are times when it's absolutely appropriate to not make waves to just you know just get along just just keep things smooth keep the water smooth but there are times and particularly for someone who's a peacemaker where you need to cause some trouble and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, here comes that troublemaker. He's going to say something. I just know it. There are times when that's appropriate. There are times when, you know, when, uh, you know, particularly read the Old Testament. You know, there's some places where it's pretty disturbing, actually. You know, God said, go into this land and annihilate everyone and everything. Nothing lives. Can you imagine? But that's what God said. There were reasons for what God said. You know, and everybody loves Jesus when he's the little baby in the manger. Everybody loves him. But when he shows up like a lion, not so much. But that's the real Jesus. He shows up with power. You know, Jesus Jesus subjected himself to the cross on purpose. You know, there were people who were saying, save yourself, come down from the cross. He could have done that. He could have done that. He could have called legions of angels down to take him off the cross and annihilate everyone there. He could have done that. He chose not to. He did that by choice. But simply because he allowed himself to be crucified on that cross doesn't mean that he was weak and helpless. He was not. He had an intense and immense amount of strength. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. But there were times, there were times when he called people out. He called out the Pharisees one time. He called them snakes. Now that's an insult that we don't really get. Because if we call somebody a snake, they're like, eh, whatever. You know, that was a horrible insult to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were at the pinnacle of the religious group at the time. They were at the top. There was no one who was any more spiritual or any, any, any more, um, pious than they were. And to call them snakes and vipers was a horrible insult. You think about the time when Jesus went in and he attacked the money changers at the temple. 
These days, they'd call the police. Jesus did that intentionally. He did that with forethought. It says he made, he went and made a whip. Now, we don't know what whips are these days much. You know, you go down to the farm store and, and they have whips there for, uh, you know, for horses and stuff. And they're just, they're just this long thing here with a, a little string on the end and, and maybe some knots in it. Let me tell you, back in Jesus' day, they had whips. These whips were big whips. And they had pieces of either broken uh, pottery in the end of them or, or something like that. So that it was sharp, pieces of metal, and they had multiple strings coming out. These things were fierce. People died from a whipping. People died from that. That's what Jesus went up there with to attack the money changers. He went up there and he beat them. This is not a mamby-pamby Jesus. This is not a weakling Jesus. Jesus had some fire behind him. But he was a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker. You know, most of the time as Christians, we're called to to just kind of take it a lot of times. We are. And you got to be very careful about when it is that you want to show the fire you have as a Christian. Most of the time, most of the time, we're, we're like a stallion. It's like that, that term meekness. Meekness. Strength under power. Strength under power. Or strength under control. Power under control. You know, the Bible says that a, 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 a gift of the Spirit is, is control. It's, it's knowing when to exert your strength and when to stay calm. Most of the time, what we're called to do is stay strong. You know, you don't, you don't want to lose your temper. That's not a good thing. That means you don't have control. You know, that, that's, that's kind of a man thing, but I've seen it with women too. You know, women can kind of lose control. That's not a good thing. Bible says that, that the, a gift of the Spirit is, is control. It's love. It's love. Are there times when in love you need to be confrontational? Absolutely. But let me tell you how that does not work. It does not work if you absolutely lose it to somebody and you totally call them out and you on the verge of accuse them of stuff and then you tag on the end, you tag on the end in love, in brotherly love. That's not in brotherly love. It isn't. That's probably a time when control is very important and you need to have a difficult conversation with somebody. Because their behavior is absolutely unacceptable. You need to have a difficult conversation with them. That's when you better spend a little time in prayer first. But I'll tell you, Christians are not a doormat. God never intended us to be walked over. God never intended us to be totally pushed around. When you think about the Old Testament Christians, or uh, uh, the New Testament Christians, when when uh, at, at the time... At the time after Jesus was crucified, you know, a lot of them were living in caves. 
a lot of them were hiding out because they were being defiant. They were being defiant of, uh, of the authorities. And they would have been killed. They would have been at least decapitated. Were they living, how were they, were those Christians a doormat? I don't think so. I don't think they were. Even in more recent times, you can think about Christians who were defiant. You know, there were Christians, there were many Christians who died during the Holocaust as there were Jews. We don't hear about them. But they were defiant to the authorities. Were they a doormat? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Sometimes being a peacemaker means that we have to stand up. We have to stand up and uh, and uh, be, you know, stand up for ourselves, stand up for the Lord. Um, what are the graces that God gives? When uh, Paul talks about graces in Ephesians, he's talking about those gifts, five spiritual gifts. If you want to write these down really quick, you can write them down. Uh, there's the one in Ephesians 4.11 that I talked about. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 12, uh, 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 28 through 30, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, and 1 Peter 4 through 8. But Paul, Paul focuses on four spiritual gifts, persons who are gifted in the church. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, those four things. And I've talked about them before I think I, I don't remember if I've talked about them in Ephesians or before, but um, I want to just focus on pastor because you know uh, you all you all are did you know that you all are saints? You all are saints. Bible says that if you've been, if you've become a Christian, that you are a saint. And uh, some of you are sitting there thinking. Wow, I didn't act very saintly last night. That may be true. But you're not a saint based on your behavior. You know that, right? You're not a saint based on what you do. You're a saint because you are a child of God. And we can work on the other stuff later. But the fact that you are a child of God and that you're a saint means that you are a servant of God. And just like I've been talking all hour, God has things that he wants you to do. You know, uh, we have a problem these days understanding how the church works. We think, we tend to think that, uh, that, that, that there's a pastor standing up in front and you all just sit there and you listen and you nod at the right moment and you say amen at the right moment and that's all there is to it you know and then you walk out and you go through life for the rest of the week you know or maybe i've heard it described this way you know they think of a church like a bus well the pastor's driving and everybody just sits in the back and and they go along for the ride that's not how it is that isn't how it is. You all are active as well. You know, uh, people people tend to think that the word pastor is an adjective. 
That is, that it describes somebody. If you refer to me as Pastor Scott, you're describing me. I appreciate it when people call me Pastor Scott. It shows respect. I like that. But that's not an adjective. Pastor, really, pastor is a verb. It's an action word. And the fact is that if you look at what pastor is, what it really means, pastor means that you walk with somebody. You walk through life with them. Think about it for a minute. That's what you all are supposed to be doing too. You're walking through life with people. You have people in your circle of influence that only you can influence. And if you don't do it, who will? Who will do that? Sometimes that's not easy because if you're going to be a peacemaker, right? If you're going to be a peacemaker, sometimes you're a troublemaker. You're going to rock the boat a little bit. You know, you got your circle of friends there and, uh, and, and, and they're wanting to, uh, live their life in a certain way. And, uh, God comes knocking on your door and he says, you need to show them another way. You need to show them that there may be consequences for what they're doing. Unpleasant consequences. And so, you're going to be a troublemaker and you're going to say, you know what? There's another way of doing this. And I know, I know what that way is. Can I share it with you? You know, most of the time, most of the time people are pretty nice about that. I've got to tell you, there was, there was a time when I was going door to door. Um, I was, I was at another church. This was years ago. Uh, we had this deal where several of us would, after Sunday afternoon, we would go out and we would visit people who had visited our church. And we had their address. And we would just go out and stop by. How many people do you think are happy to see you on a Sunday afternoon when you just show up at their house uninvited? Well, I don't really know. I don't know how many of them were happy. But what I do know is that I don't remember one time when people were overtly rude. And I always ask them when I left, can I pray for you? Nobody ever said no. Nobody ever said no. Now, I don't know what they thought about all of that. They didn't say but nobody ever said no. You know what? I got I got respect for the fact that I was standing up for what I believed in. And you will too. You will too. When you have that little circle of influence of people, you'll get respect for that too. You know, discipleship is an important part of what we do as a church. Um, we're supposed to be learning. We're supposed to be growing in our knowledge and, and, and in our abilities. And uh, that's what we do. It's what we do on a Sunday morning. That's what we do on a Wednesday night. And uh, by the way, the Wednesday night will be starting up again pretty soon. I just have to get my ducks kind of in a row and then we'll be doing that. So the biblical model for the body of Christ 
is that that we're preparing everyone for their service. We're preparing you for your service. That you're growing in the Lord. That you're getting stronger. That you're more capable in your life, in your daily life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in in your workplace, that you are capable of carrying out, of living out that uh, that Christian life that God has, that God wants us to do, to uh, to live for Him. Maturity, verses twelve through fourteen, says to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity. You know, there's a fact, and this is just an aside, but there's an effect. There's a fact. Um, <clears throat> some of you know that. That uh, uh, lamentably, sadly, uh, reluctantly, I turned 60 in December. And I've been denying that fact for 10 years. My wife would say, hon, you're getting old. And I would say, uh-uh, no, I'm not. I am not. I'm not getting old. Well, see, 50s middle-aged, Right? When you're in your 50s, you can say, I'm middle-aged. But when you turn 60, it can't really, it just doesn't work anymore. So you just have to accept it, you know. So then I said, okay, so I turned 60. So now I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. Now, when the heavy lifting comes along, somebody else needs to do it. Because I'm getting old after all, you know. So that that's how I'm handling that. But But the fact is, the fact is that... People that I have looked up to in ministry for my entire life, they're moving on. You know, some of them have uh, retired, basically, from their ministry. They're, they're still active, but, you know, they're, they're not as active as they used to be. And, and, and some, of them are, some of them are dead. Some of them are dying. You know, somebody's got to step into those shoes. Somebody has to step into it and... In some respects, I, I am stepping into um, what God has put before me. Uh, but my point is, my point is that those of you who are younger and either you're sitting here in this building or maybe you're listening on the radio or you're watching on YouTube or something, some of you out there are going to get a tap on your shoulder and God is going to say, it's time for you to step up. And you need to heed that. You need to heed that. You know, we, we know we live, we're living, in, we're living in end times. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, I very well may live to see the return of Christ. But the unfortunate fact, I don't know, maybe it's not unfortunate. The fact is that I may not live to see the return of Christ. There's a lot of people that I talk to and they want to sit back in the bus because they say, well, the Lord's going to return. I don't really have to do anything but sit here and wait for the rapture. The rapture very well may happen in your lifetime and it very well may not. Just because we're living in end times doesn't mean that those of you who are younger get to just sit back and enjoy the ride. You need to man up. 
Okay? You need to man up and say, God, what do I need to do? How do I serve you? What do you want me to do? Because if you're a Christian, and even if you're a young Christian, God has stuff for you to do. Now don't worry about it. He's not going to, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to put you in charge of a massive radio ministry to begin with. Don't worry. God knows your capabilities. And not only that, he gives you the ability to do whatever it is he puts in front of you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid like, you know, like, you know, I'm going to go to the gym and work out and I'm going to put a thousand pounds on the leg press. No, he's not going to do that. You work up to that. <laughs> you work up to that. And even then it doesn't work out so well. So anyway, um, then the Bible talks about, uh, uh, Paul talks about truthing and love. Truthing and love. Speaking the truth in love. Um, those, the actual word there means truthing. It's a verb. Uh, the Bible says, some, some translations say, Speaking the truth in love, but it's really, it's an, it's an action. It's an action word. You're doing something. The body is joined and held together and it grows and builds on itself in love and the leadership of the Holy Spirit teaches us how to live out those things in love. We, we live, we live by speaking the truth in love. And I, I would like it, I'd like it better if that was reversed. In love, in love we speak the truth. Love has to come first. You know, there are people who can speak the truth and they bludgeon you with it. They beat you up. You come away with a black eye and, and you've lost a tooth. It's like you're in a boxing match with them. Is it true? Is what they said true? Yeah, it's true, but it was pretty brutal. We don't have to be brutal. Love. Love comes first. If, if you feel moved to put yourself in somebody's life, do that in love. Do it in love. Have love first. You need to establish a relationship with people first. I talk to people all the time. I don't lead out with... How is your Christian life doing? I don't lead out with that. You know, when I, when I talk to them, um, and, and I, maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's because I'm getting old. I don't know. I don't know. But I establish a relationship with them first. That's very important. People need to trust you. They need to trust you. They need to know you're real. They need to know that what you say comes from your heart and it's authentic. In love, speak the truth in love. Ephesians goes on to uh, talk about our clothing, our Christian clothing. Um, Paul talks about in verse 17 about having that wardrobe. He says, uh, chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. 
and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every work of impurity and to, with a continual lust for more. So he talks about the hardness of their heart, the darkness of their heart, the deadness of their heart, and then the relict, the, the, um, the uh, recklessness, the unrestrained abandonment to sin. Could you use those terms to describe what we see around us today? I would say so. I would say so. Hardly ever watch the news anymore because it makes me sick. It makes me physically sick. Because what I see is exactly that. A reckless, unrestrained abandonment toward sin. We no longer celebrate manhood and womanhood. We no longer celebrate that. Um, what, what, is, what is lifted up, what is celebrated, is perversion of manhood and womanhood. It's perversion. It's celebrated. It's not just accepted. You know, you know, um, and, and I'm showing my age again, but but when I was younger, okay, 80s, 90s, you know, we laughed about things that, that people celebrate today. It was a joke. When I was younger, those things were a joke. Nobody intended them to be serious. Now it's celebrated. Let's put it on the news. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about, he, he used the word here, a heart, uh, a heart of stone. When it says a heart of stone, the word that is used there, the Greek word literally means a stone that's harder than marble. Harder than marble. That's the word that's used. Um, you know, maybe you could equate it with some of that basalt that we have out here. Try to break that up. You know, I'm not talking about the cinders. I'm talking about that brown rock out there. That is a rock. So that hardening of their heart describes an inability and an unwillingness to respond to God's truth. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And when you stand up to them, when you stand up to them and you say, you say that uh, a man thinking that they're a woman or a woman thinking that they're a man is perversion, they are furious with you. They are furious. They hate us as Christians. They hate us and everything that we stand for. Is it going to take a strong person, a strong Christian to stand up to that? Oh, you bet your sweet bippy it is. Yes, that's that's tough. It's much easier to go along with it. You know, the easy thing to do is say, uh, you live your life and I'll live mine. Whatever turns your crank, whatever rows your boat, you know, you, you do what makes you happy. You know, that, that, that phrase, do what makes you happy, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you know what, ultimately in the end, they might think that they're happy right now, but there will come a time, there will come a time when they're going to meet their God, 
And they're not going to be happy. Because there's not a place for them. They rejected the truth. They rejected what they knew was right. And they, they absolutely refused to hear anything else. And, you know, I, I believe they know they're wrong. I do. I think they know they're wrong. I think they know that they're living a life of sin. But they just refuse to face it. They refuse to face it. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like there is a social celebration of people who decide to say, I'm gay. People celebrate that. And, and it becomes a social, it becomes a social thing. It's like it's popular. It's like it's popular, popular thing to do. You know, when I was that age, uh, we had, you know, there were clothes that were popular. You wear clothes that were in fashion. Now you choose your gender to be in fashion. And that's absurd. That's absurd. And, and if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to take a stand on those things. You've got to stand up to that. That reckless abandonment. Paul says, having, having performed every impurity and lusted for more. You know, our culture is hell-bent on a reckless pursuit of sin. And our culture has come to the point where it makes psychopath martyrs and drag queens models. And that's absurd. That's absurd. That's absurd. And, and, and if God doesn't judge all of this, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And we're at that point. But it's going to take strong people to be Christians, to stand up to this. I need to wrap this up. Um, There may be, there may be on the website, there may be Ephesians part three. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Paul was a fabulous, brilliant man. We have communion today, and so we're going to share that. I'm going to share in communion. If you're a Christian, I invite you to share in communion. With that, if you are not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, I'm going to pray with you right now. You can do that right now. It just takes a minute or so. You know, being a Christian is reflective of something that has taken place in your heart. It's a change in your heart. It's not something that you physically do, but it reflects what's in your heart. And so if in your heart you want to become a Christian, you just simply do that. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's, that's all there is. You don't have to do more. Believe in your heart. I don't think that was me. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. So let's pray. Let's pray. And then uh, you gentlemen that are going to pass communion. Um, if you go ahead and come up here and, and we'll, we'll pass it and then I'll read a verse and I'll pray again 
and then we'll all take communion together. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word, even though sometimes it's difficult. We thank you, Lord, that you challenge us in our heart, but that your word gives us strength, gives us power. Lord, we just pray that we would put our full trust in you. And Lord, we do that right now. We put our trust in you, put our faith in you, Lord. We want to live a life that honors and glorifies you. And Father, we just pray for forgiveness of our past. We pray that you would make our hearts right and strong and pure. And uh, if there's anything in our in our life that we need to remove or maybe that we need to add to our service to you, Lord, we just pray that you would lead us to do that, that we would have a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We want to serve you. And today we dedicate our hearts and our lives towards that very thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.